Hello, and welcome to another episode of eDiscovery Chicks, the podcast about all things eDiscovery and legal tech, hosted by two gals who this week are very exhausted from Super Bowl weekend. We're your hosts. That's Bree. And that's Angie. And yes, we are exhausted. <laughs> Today's episode will be about legal holds. But before that, Angie, who were you rooting for this weekend? I don't have strong feelings. I had tepid feelings about all of it. Um, but we were in Vegas, which was very fun. Who are you rooting for? Oh, well, I had to be anybody except Taylor Swift because <laughs> I share residence <laughs> with my son and I want to continue living in a peaceful home. Now he is 11 and he has a lot of Swifties in his life that he thinks are highly annoying. And he Aww. actually is so in love with football that he feels that the girls that are Swifties are not true football fans because they're only there for Taylor Swift and she's not a football player. So well, he's you would very hate me because I was like, <laughs> I could sort of root for the Chiefs because it's Taylor's boyfriend. <laughs> <laughs> And I, I want to know, like, what lipstick color she has on and her nails look oh. fab. <laughs> no, her lip color. Yeah. I want to know everything about it. It doesn't <laughs> transfer on anything. It looks fantastic for her entire show every night. I really need yeah. to know. I do too. And of course, if I say anything about this out loud in front of my son, <laughs> I will be banned from watching the Super Bowl with him. <laughs> so you guys did have fun in Vegas though, huh? It was so wild. But we're going to Cabo in a couple of months. And as we were getting on the plane, John was like, oh yeah, I got an email from the resort in Mexico. And they're like, we don't have your flight flying into Cabo. Like that flight doesn't exist. <laughs> that sounds like a problem. We better be sure that our flight lands hmm. in the same city as our hotel. Yeah, I can relate to that just a little bit. Oh no, so, what happened? You know, sometimes when we get overwhelmed and we have lots of things going on and our brains can only hold so much information, <laughs> shit happens. And so this is what happened to me, Angie. What? I had a meeting with a client that was supposed to be in Columbus, Ohio. And in all the back and forth, I signed somehow did not catch on to the fact that my flight was actually after connecting Atlanta, Georgia, was taking me to Columbus, Georgia, and not Columbus, Ohio. Did you and think I, the flight from Atlanta to Columbus was really short? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, there's like all kinds of cues that genius me should have picked up on. But of course, I'm working. And that's what people do when they travel all the time. So I get to the airport and I go to the gate and I'm like, oh, that's weird. It says Columbus, GA. I wonder why they did that. I, I mean, I guess because you have to connect to that flight in Georgia. Like, Maybe that's what happened. And I just dismissed it. And I actually stayed in the airport for an hour having lunch. I went and get on the plane. And I'm listening to something like in my head, my earbuds, you know. And I swear that they said it was a 19-minute flight. And I'm like, what? They did not say 19 minutes. I, can't, I mean, well, this is a super small plane. In fact, it's one of the smallest planes I've ever been on. So maybe it's like super fast. <laughs> And then I'm like, no, they probably said 90 minutes, which would make more sense. And sure enough, 19 minutes later, we land. Do I realize then, Angie, that I'm in the wrong city? Nope. I go get my luggage and I'm like, wow, Columbus, Ohio has a 
very small airport. And it's not until I try to order my lift from the airport to my hotel that it's 4.30 in the afternoon. It tells me it'll drop me off at 1.30 in the morning (laughs) at my hotel because I did make my hotel reservation in the right city. So I turn my phone off and turn it back on and do it again. And it's not until then that like all the things I should have picked up on that I didn't notice the first time (laughs) flash in my brain. And so I go to the service desk at Delta and proclaim myself as the dumbest person that ever lived. And they're like, oh, let me guess. You're supposed to be in Columbus, Ohio. People do it all the time. (laughs) But anyway, I ended up having to take a lift to a shuttle bus back to the Atlanta airport. Oh. And then the last plane flight of the day going to Columbus, Ohio. I did make it to my meeting though, on time the next day. Meanwhile, everybody that I'm working with is like hysterically laughing at me. And since then, I have heard about 50,000 million jokes about flying to the wrong city. I have been reminded <laughs> that there's more Houstons than just in Texas, <laughs> which is my home. And somebody sent me a magnet for Columbus, Georgia, that is on my kitchen refrigerator (laughs) (laughs) to remind me that we must stay balanced, girls. (laughs) Oh, my God. Yeah, that was a super fun day to be Brie. (laughs) (laughs) Was your return flight from Columbus, Ohio or Columbus, Georgia? Well, so that's something I actually had to fix whenever I got to the Atlanta airport because everything was taking me back from Georgia home. I'm like, well, that's going to be a problem tomorrow when I want to go home. So yeah, I feel like a big idiot. (laughs) Well, and it's like terrible because you're trying to prep yourself for this meeting where you're like all your nerves are there and you're anxious and your self-doubt and all those things. And then this happens. I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to fail because I can't even get to the right freaking city or state for that matter. Well, All right. Shall we move on? I mean, I guess, I guess people want to hear about e-discoveries. Why are we talking about legal holds? <laughs> uh, we're talking about them because they are ubiquitous. But before we dive into it, I feel like we should start by like defining what a legal hold is because I know this is one of your favorite soapboxes and I also know that sometimes we mean different things by them. This is one of my favorite soapboxes because it's so we deal with this every day when people confuse what a legal hold is versus holding and preserving data. So the legal hold notice is an actual notice that goes out to those that we actually call custodians. Most of the time are employees of your company that you want to put on notice that they must preserve any data that is responsive to whatever that issue or legal matter is that involves the legal hold. Versus a preservation hold. You can implement a legal hold on your data in Microsoft, for example. And what that means is that you're holding the data in place so that people cannot purge anything. They cannot delete anything. So when we're talking about legal hold, it's important that we understand what each other mean. Do we mean the legal hold notice that's usually issued by an attorney or someone of the like in a legal department that's putting someone on notice that they of their responsibilities? Or are we talking about a holding of data, meaning that we're preserving it in place to prevent its deletion? And I just bring this up at the very beginning of this conversation (laughs) because I want us to all be on the same page of what we mean by legal hold 
And I also encourage you in your day-to-day lives, wherever you are in the discovery land, and you're talking to each other about legal holds, to have that be like a prerequisite question. You, Angie, have a lot of information about legal holds because you're working with them every single day. All the time. Oh, yeah. I deal with these babies on a daily basis. So I'm going to kind of give you a recap of the life cycle of a legal hold. There's a triggering event that necessitates a legal hold. And we're going to talk about those in a bit. What do you do then? Well, first, you have to identify your custodians. And those are the people that Bree just mentioned who are going to have data related to the legal hold, data that needs to be preserved. So you're going to identify your custodians. Then you're going to define the scope of your hold. And what that means is identifying which data sources need to be preserved. So like, are you going to send and you might send a notice out to your custodians that's like, hey, stop deleting your text messages, don't delete your emails, you know, don't delete any photos, whatever. You're going to scope your hold that way. Then you're actually going to draft a notification and send it to these people. It, like, it might come through uh, a third-party software platform, or if you're a smaller company, you know, it might just be literally like an email from, from somebody. And then once you've issued that notice, that's when you're going to go ahead and preserve your information. And there are a number of different ways to do that that we're going to talk about in a minute. Once you have started preserving that data, that's not the end of your journey because say this matter, this legal matter endures for a year, two years, five years, you're going to have to make sure that you are still compliant with that original legal hold at regular intervals. So every six months or so, you're going to check in on that legal hold, make sure that everybody is still doing what they're supposed to do. Everything is still looking good. And you're going to do that for the life cycle of the matter until it's time to release the hold. When you release the hold, that just means that information is no longer, like, no longer must it be preserved. People can carry on with their lives. And so just for a sense of scale, just how common legal holds are, pretty much every company, pick a company, they probably have at least... Like if you're talking about a mom and pop shop down the street, this might not apply. But like anybody who is publicly traded, those companies are all going to have dozens, if not hundreds, if not thousands of legal holds in place. So this really does affect like most of most of the economy, really. Um, Mm -hmm. And then and there are also massive sanctions for not sending one out. If you if there's a clear triggering event, you get sued, you get a preservation letter, you get subpoenaed and you don't issue a legal hold. You can get fined, like you can damage your reputation, you might lose valuable data. So the consequences of doing it improperly are pretty massive um, and they're also pretty widespread. So that's why we figured we'd cover them. Bree, do you want to maybe like, can we dive into who might be affected by the requirements of a legal hold? Yeah. And so when we talk about legal holds and who's getting them, who's issuing them, of course, we're talking about corporations uh, just now. And and by the way, I know we're going to talk about this in a little bit more detail, but a legal hold would go out whenever there's an initiating event, right? So when we think about initiating events, it helps us understand who might be affected. So when litigation comes into play and you're served a lawsuit, that's a big initiating event. That's going to a company. It could be going to um, an, a, a nonprofit organization. It could be going to a government enter- entity. Uh, it could be going to a, a person. The, that is a, an obvious initiating event. Um, some things that people don't think about necessarily are like complaints. Like if your employees are making EEOC complaints 
or um, you have your company and you have an internal complaint, you're a government agency and you have an internal complaint by an employee, that can be an initiating event. I guess the point of what I'm trying to say is that there's a lot of things that can trigger a legal hold and it can generally affect any organization or person, um, depending on what your role is in that uh, incident or that matter. And we also have silent holds versus loud holds. Some people call them published holds versus unpublished <laughs> holds. <laughs> um, Some and people call them normie holds versus <laughs> silent holds. <laughs> <laughs> but what we're trying to describe is sometimes there are legal holds that go out to folks that don't even know they're on legal hold. They're like stealth holds. And this a lot of times can happen when you're doing an investigation. Maybe I'm investigating Angie. No, she would never do anything wrong. But if I was and I didn't want her to know it, I could put her on a silent hold. And when we put people on hold, that also allows us to document that we are preserving their data. Um, and we've gone through the necessary efforts to make sure that nothing will spoil it. There's a word for you. Um, <laughs> but talking about scoping out holds, Angie, yeah. do you, do you want to dive into that a little bit further? Put me in, coach. So scoping a legal hold. When you scope a legal hold, there are two facets, the people and the stuff. The people is who are like who's going to be affected by the hold. Who are you issuing it to? Who are you telling that they need to preserve data? These are your custodians. And so say, you know, you're a company and you... Um, get sued for breach of contract for a contract with a, I don't know, gardening company. So you, the legal hold officer, are looking at this lawsuit and you're thinking, okay, who's involved in this? It's going to be everyone who ever touched that contract, everyone who worked at that site, everyone who negotiated that contract, everybody who supervises those people. And you can see really quickly, the, this gets very broad, very quickly. And oftentimes, if you're going to scope a legal hold, you're going to go to an org chart. You're going to look at people's supervisors. You're going to look at the subject matter that they touch. And I also do want to stress that this is an iterative process. You get into the lawsuit, you you go through some discovery, you figure out like the facts aren't exactly what you thought they were at the outset. So you go back, you add people to the hold, you can take them off. This isn't like, it's never set in stone. And it's the same way with your data sources. So in our like contract example, you know, you're going to want to put on hold anyone's email who touched that contract, their whatever their messaging platform is, whether it's Slack or Teams or Gchat or whatever else you hooligans are using. You're going to want to put on hold that contract portal at that company. And so you see, you just start asking questions about like, what is anything that's ever touched the subject matter and who are the people who are involved. One of the one of my like favorite little things these days is the internet of things. And that is all the stuff that you have, all your smart stuff, your smart fridges, your smart toasters, your smart uh dishwashers, your smart TVs. All of that is accumulating data and it can actually you can put them on legal hold too. Yeah. I actually heard a, an example. I was at a conference and the FBI was presenting on a on a case that they had involving teapots that were like electric teapots. <laughs> what? That, <laughs> that were like uh and it was like in a government agency and they were right outside the boardroom and so like every time that the door would open like somebody would go out to the bathroom or go get tea. Then they would hear part of the conversation. 
<laughs> so, the teapots one? The teapots. Oh my God. <laughs> and I'm like, what in the world? This freaks me out. <laughs> but the internet of things is what you're talking about. And I just want yeah. people to know that it's, you'll see it as IOT. So when you see that acronym, then you'll know that's what, what you're talking about. Okay. So one thing we wanted to hit real quick, when do you do a legal hold? And the easy answer is as early as possible. <laughs> but um, the like better answer is when litigation might reasonably be anticipated. So that's like the legal standard. But in non-legalese, that's going to be like you get a preservation demand, you get sued, you get an arbitration demand. There's a news story, you get subpoenaed. There's some like catastrophic cra- like accident. I live in Seattle and a couple years back, one of the Amtrak trains that goes from between here and Portland derailed. And so it like crashed onto the main freeway up here. And it was like, you knew like Amtrak that day was like, all right, we're issuing a legal hold. Brie, do you want to talk about there are like policies that changed or are affected by legal hold? Do you maybe want to dive into those? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of things to consider as an organization when you're talking about legal holds. But one thing is that you want to include legal holds in a wide variety of your policies because it really affects a lot of what we do on a day-to-day basis and a lot of different departments within an organization. For example, you want to make sure that your custodians are aware of what the heck a legal hold is and what their individual (laughs) responsibilities are. So a good way of doing that is making that training part of your employee uh, onboarding. Also, you have bring your own device onboarding documentation that your employees are signing. You want to make them aware of what their obligations are to the company should they need to put that device on legal hold. Training your employees and (laughs) having it involved in their onboarding uh, documentation and agreements is important. Then we talk about IT and the different responsibilities they have. There's going to be data migration. Uh, We're moving data from one application to another. There's going to be device refresh where somebody's getting a new PC, somebody's getting a new mobile phone. Um, A mobile phone? Yeah, a mobile phone. They might (laughs) even get a fax machine. Um, (laughs) Come on, man. I'm old, Angie. Don't pick on me. (laughs) All these newfangled things. Well, you know, um, you never know. Um, As young whippersnappers, we call them cell phones. <laughs> oh my god, I'm sorry, I can't keep up with you kids. I'm still trying to figure out what fucking state to fly to. Um, anyway, so change management systems uh, sometimes are used to to maintain that in, in an IT group, but it's nice to have IT policies also also reference legal holds because you can't just wipe a PC or delete a, a, an application or what have you. Yeah if it has data that's responsive to a legal hold. Also, we want to talk about data privacy uh, policies that are written and procedures. They need to consider legal holds because if we have a DSAR where individuals are requesting uh, data to be produced or data to be masked or otherwise deleted, there needs to be a clause that the legal hold policies should be referenced because you don't want to either share or or otherwise manipulate that data if it's on legal hold. Also, um, and for us normies out there, what's a no, DSAR, Brie? It's a data subject access request, and it started with, well, here comes another acronym, 
GDPR. <laughs> um, but basically privacy regulations that's originated in, in Europe that have now started easing their way into the United States. So there's going to there's privacy regulations out there that allow individuals to request certain things from companies. And sometimes that means they get to request like, I want every single document that has my name on it. And I want it deleted. And companies have to comply one way or another. So when they are in the process of complying, they do need to consider legal hold because data that's on legal hold should not be moved because that upsets our metadata. It should not be deleted because that's spoilation and probably should not be produced. So another thing that um, we also want to think about is data retention policies. And so this can actually affect a lot of different things in an organization. But when compliance is, or whomever, is drafting those data retention policies, we always need to consider legal hold because it would override any data retention. So for example, maybe our data retention policy says we only hold emails for 90 days, and then after that, they're purged. And we do want there to be a caveat that should that data be on legal hold, we should not purge it. And that could have. We get to be the fun police. (laughs) Yay. We're like. And then for IET folks, they might have their own uh, policies involving that data retention. And because they're usually responsible for attaching those rules or flags or whatever you want to call them, those doohickeys on data, flagging (laughs) it for (laughs) deletion. Now I feel like I'm just being stupid because Andy's making fun of my age, but it's fine. But yeah, so those are some things to consider uh, in terms of policy making when it comes to legal holds. In talking about what the different roles are in an organization and who does what, who is usually issuing these legal holds, Angie? Mm, okay, so there are a number of people who can do it. The key is it's got to be somebody with enough authority to make it stick. And so one of the key things is consistency. If it's going to be your legal department, make it your legal department. If it's going to be your CEO, make it your CEO. But like make it consistent and make it somebody with enough authority to make it actually work. Um, sometimes like outside parties will manage this. Like sometimes, um, like when I was at the law firm, you know, sometimes we would write them for people or we'd ghostwrite them. And sometimes we would actually be the ones issuing them to people. But um, regardless, like somebody with enough uh, chutzpah to scare people, I think. <laughs> but who? OK, so those are the people who issue it, who actually like attaches the doohickeys to the stuff that makes it sick. <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> to use your technical language. <laughs> you guys are highly technical. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the people responsible for preserving data. So we talked about IT earlier and their responsibility for uh, data retention. Well, sometimes that means that they're also the people responsible for helping us preserve data. Some people call them data stewards. Um, So they could likely be the folks that have to jump in. So some things that we put on legal hold could be like a network share, SharePoint site, Box.com site, you know, Slack. It could be like a video camera that's been videotaping who's coming and going outside of your organization. It could be a video dash cam in a car. It could be a... GPS system in your car or truck or van or delivery, whatever. It could be so many different things. And that would be something that whomever is the admin IT wise for that system 
will be responsible for making sure that data is preserved. Sometimes, I guess I'm getting ahead of myself, but sometimes the method of preserving could be collecting, but we'll talk about that here in a minute. Also, we think about folks that are our records professionals, but some people are actually preserving boxes of documents and warehouses. Oh, so- I know. I've been that. <laughs> I've been a post-it girly in Doc Review in like, boxes of actual documents. <laughs> so there are records custodians uh, all over who are responsible for making sure that hard documents and also data that resides in your company is not being uh, destroyed if it's on legal hold. Um, and then we have individual folks like your whoever your custodian is for your legal hold. They could personally be responsible Please for that. Preserving <laughs> data. Sometimes it's necessary, but yeah, when we talk about bring your own device, it gets a little hairy and people get a little bit more responsible. But anywho, so how do we preserve data? You might be asking yourself. One way we do that is through software. The e discovery software industry is a big one and one that is constantly evolving. And it's been a lot of fun personally. Uh, to see it evolve over the years um, and to see how our capabilities are always growing. So one way we can do that is through automation that's built into software. We're automatically preserving data in place. We're automatically even sending out your legal hold notices. We're also allowing collection of data from a wide variety of different data sources Um, that you can either collect and manipulate that data to produce it and use it, or just simply to preserve it. When we're talking about using software to do these things for us, a couple of things to remember is that we always want consistency, right? Because at the end of the day, we're going to have to go to the court and say, Your Honor, we did or did not have this data, and we can prove that it's defensible, Because one, we have a policy about this and we're consistent with our policy. And or two, we've kept an audit log and we can show everything that we've done in terms of where this data has been, where it originated and how it's been stored. Um, We use things like templates so that we're constantly repeating the same process and there's no deviation in that. We're monitoring it, we're QCing it, we're escalating things as we need to. We want to be able to prove all that up. Software really helps a ton in this process. And being someone who comes from the old ages where we had documents and fax machines and doohickeys, it's nice to have the software to rely on that is reliable now, by the way, rather than the old school and sometimes still used chain of custody documentation that has to be you know signed every time that data is being moved around and where and those you know manual logs that have to be kept Uh, Uh, one thing i want to make sure we hit that before we close out is that is the language of your legal um so first of all listen i know i used the word ubiquitous earlier so i'm really not one to talk here but don't use legalese just use clear language be direct be precise. Don't worry about being nice. It's more important to communicate clearly than it is to communicate kindly. 
I mean, that said, like, don't be super scary or threatening or anything, but just (laughs) be explicit with your people. Tell them, look, do not delete texts. Do not delete photos. Do not delete emails. Do not delete documents. Um, And tell them, like, this isn't an exhaustive list, but it is meant to give you some direction about what you can and cannot do. Also, give them a place to go to ask questions. Like, if you have questions about your responsibilities, here's who you should talk to. Here's where you send your questions. Also, follow up, have a plan for people who do not acknowledge the hold, who are non-compliant with the hold. I've used legal hold software where it like automatically, they've got like seven days or something to acknowledge it. And if they don't, then it goes to our, into like an HR system and is like, Hey, who's their manager? And then it bugs their manager about it. So like have a, have a plan. It doesn't have to be that fancy. It can be as simple as just like pinging them about it. Um, but have a plan to follow up. And then make sure that you are synced up with your IT department or whoever is actually putting the doohickeys on the stuff. Um, (laughs) Just make sure (laughs) they're going to be your best buddy. So just, you know, make sure you coordinate with them. Make sure that if they're doing any work on the back end, it's actually doing what you think it's doing. Something that I always thought was so funny when I worked in-house, that I well, not funny, but like ironic, that I didn't pick up on the fact that people aren't thinking about legal holds on as much as I am. And when they get one, it's like straight up out of the blue from corporate legal and they think they're in trouble. They're like, oh, snap. And it also was like a real testimony to how confusing as heck that we can make it for people to do. They're like, I'm reading it. I don't even know what to do. Am I in trouble? Do I need to call HR? So yeah, I mean, consider your audience. Yeah. (laughs) And I feel like one thing I often forget is that people who are issuing legal holds, like we're inherently scary, right? So you try to... (laughs) (laughs) Because people are are like, why is legal talking to me? (laughs) Like, keep it human. Keep it direct. Keep it precise. If people are going to be scared, they at least like to know what to do about it. Like, at least don't leave them in uncertainty. Yeah. Well, it's part of like that training, too, that I was talking about earlier. That helps because if they know what to expect and they get it, then yeah. And I happen to know of a software program that also, well, whenever you send out a legal hold to somebody that's never gotten one before, they can get a soft email that says, don't worry, you're not in trouble. This is what you do. We talked about preservation after that legal hold notice is sent and you decided that you're not scared and acknowledged the hold. (laughs) What are the different methods of preservation? So we and we've also discussed the IoT, the Internet of Things and some of some crazy possibilities of things that could be on hold. Um, So when we talk about preservation in place, we have to know that number one Whatever the application is, has that inherent ability to be placed on legal hold in place. And see, here's where that whole legal hold versus preservation in place gets real crazy when we're trying to talk. It gets confusing. But you do have software systems like Box.com or Google or Microsoft applications that have the ability for you to lock down data in place so that someone or something cannot delete or purge that data. So that is a method of preservation. You also can have software tools that help you manage that. Maybe I'm a huge corporation and I've got 50,000 million people and things that all need to be preserved in place and there's no way that I can wrangle all those cats every day then get a great software program that you believe in and that's reputable and is able to manage that process for you. Don't do that shit manually. 
don't do it. Yeah, don't. And you also want to have that assistance from a software, by, by the way, so that you can audit it. So when you have to prove up who did what, when, and how, that your audit log will be your best friend. Sometimes, though, we have those applications that we can't preserve in place like that. So we have to ask ourselves, how likely is it that the data here will change or move or be destroyed or whatever? And uh, how costly would that be to this whatever legal matter? So we may choose (laughs) to collect to preserve. So an example might be you have a terminated employee and you find out that this employee has filed an EEOC complaint and now you're doing an internal investigation or that your terminated employee has taken something they shouldn't have taken with them. Angie's always getting on to me about my conspiracy theories and how cynical I am, but I'm sorry it happens. Everyone steals things. (laughs) so in those cases you might want to collect their hard drive you might want to collect whatever their email their voicemails or whatever because part of the company policy for termination might be that they purge those resources or that their email you know account goes away uh, or what have you or you may want to preserve their hard drive in an electronic format when you've collected it hopefully using a defensible method of collection Because their hard drive in three years from now might not be able to be decrypted (laughs) or tapped into. So all kinds of things to be looking. What that means, folks, is you can't put any doohickeys on it anymore. Oh, my gosh. The doohickeys. (laughs) And then you do have this little ugly word or hyphenated word that we do not really like to talk about, but it's called self-preservation. And so (laughs) sometimes we ask people to preserve their stuff. We don't like to talk about it though, because a lot of times people can't be trusted and it's not because they're bad inherently. Like I see, I'm not that much of a cynic Angie. People are generally good, but you have people like, I don't know, me who can't figure out how to fly to the right freaking state because they forgot and they were busy doing something else. And <laughs> they accidentally deleted that file. Uh, so that's why we don't like self-preservation. But that- <laughs> just to jump in or like they might genuinely not understand. I mean, there are, I don't know, hundreds, thousands of court cases in the U.S. for of people like hashing out what this whole legal hold thing means. So people might not understand. And like, that's OK. That's your job. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. your whole job. Exactly. <laughs> And they don't understand the implications of like, what happens if I accidentally delete it? Um, And then sometimes you have to reach outside your organization. Sometimes you do have to do things like, I want a forensic image of a mobile device or a PC, or I need to hire a private investigator to go digitally and look at websites or track someone online or whatever. And they need to preserve all that data for you, those are all possibilities as well. So, really, the method of which you, how you preserve things, depends on the type of matter, the requirements, um, and what is possible in terms of the native application. Yeah. Okay. I feel like we've talked a lot about legal holds, and I, th- yeah, I, I hope we've done good. I hope that this was helpful. Um, <laughs> I had fun talking about it. And I mean, that's kind of never done. You never have fun talking about legal holds. 
Well, we have some exciting news about our next episode. I don't know, Bree, do you want to share that before we wrap up? Yeah. So we have someone joining us to talk more about legal holds. And their perspective is going to be very interesting. Judge Tanya Garrison is going to be joining us. Uh, She's a judge here in Texas. And she'll be joining us to talk about what happens when the matter gets to court and all of the data does not come with it. (laughs) Somebody done fucked up. (laughs) Yeah. What happens then? What are the repercussions? What does it look like in real life? And so she's going to discuss a little bit of that with us and it'll be a lot of fun. Yeah, we are super, super stoked to have her. Well, uh, I think that's all we've got for today. So thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on our socials and share us with your friends, family, and coworkers, but only the cool ones. Um, And as always, DM us with any fantastic cocktail suggestions. Otherwise, we'll catch you next time. Bye. Bye.